There are many people across our world who want a one world government. They want a new world order. But this peace and safety is going to be followed, according to verse 16, by the wrath of the Lamb. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We have spent the past couple of weeks looking at the first of a series of catastrophes that will be occurring following the rapture of the church in a time known as the Tribulation. The Apostle John receives from Jesus Christ insight into these things that are to come, and this insight is slowly revealed through a series of judgments. The first of these judgments are seen in the unraveling of a scroll with seven sequential seals. And the first four of these judgments are pictured through riders on various colored horses. Dr. Brogy noted that the first rider will be on a white horse, and that this rider is known as the Antichrist. Like the devil, he will be a deceiver with great power. His deception will be evident as millions will look at him as a man of peace, only to discover too late that he'll actually be a man of lawlessness. Yesterday, we concluded our look at the second horseman of the apocalypse, the man of destruction and war who rides on a red horse. As we move into verses 5 and 6 of Revelation 6, we'll be introduced to the next rider on a black horse. That rider will symbolize famine and destitution. If you're joining us for the first time, however, let's join Dr. Brogy as he gives us some background to help get us up to speed. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. If you're joining us for the first time, we are working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through this powerful book. The book opens with a promise. We are told in Revelation, chapter 1, that we are blessed. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. What an incredible promise. While in one sense, all of God's revelation is a blessing, God attaches a unique blessing to this book for those who will read here and follow its truth. So every chapter, every verse is important, even some of the very difficult sections that we are in right now. I want to begin by reading our passage, Revelation 6, as we continue our study of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals... And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And another, a red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine." When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence 
by the wild beasts of the earth. The Bible is very clear that the next great event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. But after the church is removed, a time in human history will unfold that is unprecedented, that will never, ever happen again and has never happened before. It is so gruesome, it is so horrible, and we begin to see it unfold here in the sixth chapter. The response of the peoples of the earth will be, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb, verse 16. It is so terrible, it is so frightening, that Jesus said of this time, for there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall be. That is an incredible prophecy. When you consider all of the holocausts, all of the killing fields, all of the tornadoes, all of the hurricanes, all of the tsunamis, all of the earthquakes, all of the famines, all of the wars, all of the murders, Jesus said it doesn't even begin to compare with this time frame that is in front of the world. Daniel was told by the angel Gabriel of this time frame, and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. It's a unique time in human history, an unprecedented time. And when you come to the sixth chapter of the Revelation through the 19th chapter, you see that time unfolded. Jesus said it will be so horrible that unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Now, for the benefit of those being here for the first time, and for the rest of us, because I recognize that repetition, as Jesus taught, as Peter illustrated, as Paul explicitly said, is the master teacher. And so as you go over and over and over a truth, it begins to get deep into your soul where you don't just hear it and forget it, but you hear it and you begin to live it. And that's my heart. My heart as we study through the Revelation is not for you to develop, develop some prophecy chart, but for you to become more like Jesus Christ, to love Him more passionately. The theme of the book is He is coming again. He's coming in the clouds of glory. The outline of the book was given to us in Revelation 1.19. Jesus told John to write the things which you have seen. That's the past. And so in the first chapter, He gives us that scene of the glorified Christ in heaven. He tells them to write the things that are, that's chapters 2 and 3, of seven literal actual churches that are in existence when he writes the book in 95 AD. And then the things that will be after these things, metatata, in the future. And so beginning in chapter 4 all the way through the 22nd chapter, we are looking at futuristic things. And so we're talking about the things that will take place after these things. Now remember, the futuristic section begins in chapter 4 with an open door. 4.1 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place a second time over so you can't miss it. After these things. The door is opened, and the church is brought up. And we saw that the number 24 not by accident, is God's number of a representative group. And I illustrated that with you from other scripture. The 24 elders are representative of the whole church that has been caught up into heaven. And so the churches are never mentioned again. They're not seen again until the 19th chapter when Jesus comes back.
Now, it's possible to miss the rapture of the church. One of these days, maybe sooner than most of us realize, suddenly the body of Christ will be gone off the planet, and it's going to create great discord and distress. You can miss the rapture. You cannot miss the second coming because the second coming is a distinctly different event. Every eye will see and witness the second coming. The rapture is when he comes and takes his bride to heaven. We meet him in the air. At the second coming, he literally actually comes to the earth. And so when John enters into heaven in the fourth chapter, heaven is filled with praises and worship. They're giving God glory and dominion because he is worthy as the judge of the universe. But all judgment has been given to the Son, the Scripture says. And so when you come into the fifth chapter, you begin to see things are starting to change. Notice the opening verse in chapter 5. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. It's a seven-sealed book. And we understood from other scriptures that any first century writer and even external biblical sources, any first century writer or reader would understand that this was a very, very special document. And it's unsealed just one seal at a time. Seal's broken, rolled down, truth is revealed, another seal rolled out, another seal, seven seals. It's not one scroll with seven seals across, but one exterior seal with six interior seals. You would put your most precious documents in this kind of a scroll where all the people who, in essence, were there when it was sealed had to be there when it was opened. In either case, it's the last will and testament that God gives for the planet. It's the title deed to the earth. And we're going to read how God is going to claim back what Adam lost. God intended for Adam to rule and reign, to have dominion over the creation. But what the first Adam lost, he lost the farm in essence, the second Adam will regain when he comes again. And so here's John, he's in heaven, and he begins to weep, he begins to cry, his heart is broken. And as you enter into the sixth chapter, it's like a shock to the senses, because in the fourth and fifth chapter, there's praise, there's thanksgiving, you're in heavenly places, you're in scenes of joy in the fourth and fifth chapter, but when you come to the sixth chapter, there's heartache, there's scenes of judgment. It's a place of horror that the church is witnessing. They're given front row seats as to what is going to take place during this time. Now, we've seen that these judgments come in series of sevens. There's the seal judgments, there's the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments, STB, all right? Seal trumpet, bowl. Say it with me. Seal, trumpets, bowls. Very simple to remember, but this structure is very important as we consider how they unfold. Now, with the seal judgments, God allows it to happen, but most of the ruin that comes upon the world is created by man as God allows it. It's still an expression of the wrath of the Lamb. With the trumpet judgments, most of the heartache that comes on the world is created by Satan and all of his Uh, minions who are following him, all of his fallen angels. But when we will come to the bold judgments, we will see the world rescued by God Almighty as it ushers in the second coming. Now, if you don't get the structure of the book, it will become confusing to you. And if you just casually read through the book of Revelation, you'll miss it. 
But if you sat down and you read through the book of Revelation four or five times, you would begin to see how it all fits together. Here's a picture of the seven-sealed scroll. The first four represent four horsemen. And so we are speaking today of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as these first four seals are popularly called. And again, there is a structure four and three. Four seals representing four horsemen, followed by the fifth seal where scores of people are martyred for their faith. We'll see some cosmic changes in the sixth seal. And then there's a space of time. And with each of these seal, trumpet, and bold judgments, God will allow a space of time almost to let us to catch our breath and to help us to see other things that are actually taking place during this time. And in Revelation 7, we'll see these witnesses, 144,000 of them preaching the gospel across the planet. And then the seventh trumpet is opened. And when the seventh trumpet is opened, all of heaven is quiet. This place of praise turns into utter quietness. No one speaks for 30 minutes. We will see that unlike the seal judgments where you see a piece at a time, in the seven trumpets are seven bowls and they're all revealed. And it is so awesome, so incredible what God is about to do. People are just quiet, dead silence. Here's a picture of the seven trumpet judgments. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Again, they are divided into four and three. We will see there are four war trumpets followed by three woe trumpets. After this second woe trumpet, the sixth trumpet, again, there's a space of time, chapters 10 through the middle of chapter 11. And then, and of course, during that time, we'll study the angel with his little book. We'll study two witnesses that God will use to preach the gospel as well. And then the seventh trumpet is blown, and in the seventh trumpet are seven bowls. Now, when the seventh trumpet is blown, it is announced in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And you think, well, the book must be over, or it should end here. Well, obviously it hasn't. But he can make that statement because in the seventh trumpet, which contains the seven bowls, God is going to bring the culmination of events that will spur the second coming that we will witness in Revelation chapter 19. Now, there's an intensification of judgment as it unfolds. We will see in the seal judgments a reference to one-fourth of the earth being affected. When we come to the trumpet judgments, as I noted last time, 13 times over, God notes a third of the world is affected. But when we come to the bold judgments, the entire planet is shook from end to end. It's just like Jesus said, there's a growing intensity like a woman in labor. God is getting the earth's attention with the seal judgments, serving almost as a warning of God's wrath. The trumpet judgments intensify, reminding them that it is so real, you better do something. But the bold judgments will be the culmination of God's wrath. So here's the big picture all lined out for you. Again, you have seven seals. In the seventh seal are seven trumpets, and in the seventh trumpet are the seven bowls bringing about the second coming. It starts with the rapture. There's a space of time. It's very short. We don't know how long 
Because of what Jesus said, however, in the opening of the revelation, he said once it starts, it's very quick. Maybe it's a matter of hours or a few days. We don't know. But between the rapture, there will be a short amount of time that will pass, and then the Antichrist will come on the scene, and he will sign this firm covenant that we studied in Daniel 9 with Israel. And it will begin the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy divided into two halves. In the first half, Israel is protected, and the second half, Israel is persecuted. Now, this chapter, the sixth chapter that we're in today, is popularly called the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse because the fourth seal, the first four of the seal judgments come with four riders and four living creatures whom we studied. Each of the four call out a different rider. And the imagery here is given of a horse who rides across the world. I told you that one of the reasons there are so many wacky interpretations for Revelation today is some ignore God's promises to the people of Israel, but some don't recognize that much of the symbolism, if it's not interpreted within Revelation, it's interpreted in other passages of the Old Testament. 300 of the 404 verses are referenced in the Old Testament. That's 75% of the book. And so if you were studying Zechariah chapter 1, which you might have in the margin already, you discover that there are horses that the Persian kings send out to review their kingdom, to prepare it for action. Well, now God is sending out horses across His world because all the world is His, and He's preparing to judge it. Now, let me tighten the context a little bit further. In the immediate context, uh, we've already covered the first four verses, and in those four verses, we covered two riders. And remember, we are introduced in the fifth chapter to the Lion of Judah, to the Lamb of God. Jesus is both the Lamb, He's the Savior of the world, but He's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the one to whom all judgment has been given. But this expression, the four horsemen, is become an idiom in our day of basically of any advent of war, any terrible event that may come, much like they use the term Armageddon, or they say, well, this is an event of biblical proportions. So we use these idioms repeatedly. Four horses, a white, a red, we'll come to the black today before we're done, and then we will come to the ashen or the pale horse. Four ghoulish, gross, gruesome, ghastly riders that are going to bring judgment upon the planet. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice of thunder, Come. And so now comes the white horse of deception. I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. This is precisely what we discovered in Daniel 9. And if you weren't here for that series, at least go back and listen to the messages on Daniel 9. I have four. They are important because they are schematic to the entire book of Revelation. But we learn that there's coming a man there. He is called the prince who is to come, who will make a firm covenant with the nation of Israel. It's a covenant that will last for seven years. He comes as a peacemaker. And so here's a man who comes with a bow, but he has no arrows, not by accident. It implies that he will try to control the world without bloodshed. 
And he will accomplish initially a solution to the world's problems. He will come like Jesus as an imposter. He comes antichrist. The word anti can mean against or in the place of. He comes in the place of Christ. He comes as a world Messiah. He comes as a prince of peace. And of course, he resembles Jesus because the devil is the great imitator. He has a bow, but he has no arrows. This is the devil's man. And we saw that even some commentators in our day think that this is Christ. If this is Christ, he's in really bad company with these other three riders. This is not Christ. And we saw that there's a clear distinction. I highlighted six differences between the fifth rider of the apocalypse in Revelation 19 and this particular rider. But this man will come with a peace plan. People in the world will bow to him. He will come on a white horse. And he comes on a white horse for obvious reasons. Reasons. The color white is a symbol of peace. The man in the white heart, heart hat we usually think is a good guy. And so he comes as a man of peace, but he also comes as a man of power. We read here in verse 2 that he went out conquering and to conquer. Do you see that in the text? The leaders of the nations of this world will bow at his bow, so to speak. Those who have denied the right of Jesus to rule, those who have denied Jesus's expression that he is the savior of the world, those who have denied that he is the son of God, they will grant allegiance to this son from hell, to this antichrist. He comes as a man of peace. He comes as a man of power. And he comes as a man of pretense. He's not whom he makes himself out to be. He's a very different kind of person. And so in the first command, the first horseman is ordered by one of the four living creatures, and he says, come, and we read in verse 3, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And so then the red horse of destruction is delivered. Look at verse 4. And another, a red horse, went out into him who sat on it. It was granted to take peace from the earth. And so the story soon turns ugly. What comes initially with peace upon the earth with the first rider is soon turned to war. That bow with no arrows is exchanged with this rider with a great sword. Now, for a short period of time, just as Paul delineates for us in his letter to the church at Thessalonica, the world will think that they have a new world order, and there'll be a short time of peace. They'll be saying, everything is okay. We finally have the solution to the world's problems. And while they are saying peace and safety, Paul says, suddenly, it's in the front of the sentence for emphasis, suddenly, destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now, I believe that knowingly or unknowingly, God is setting the stage for this new world order. There are many people across our world who want a one world government. They want a new world order. But this peace and safety is going to be followed, according to verse 16, by the wrath of the Lamb. Look now at verse 4. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Now, some of the adjectives are very important. We saw that this is a red 
horsemen. And there are a couple of different words in Koine Greek for red. But the word that he chose, peros, is not by accident. The Spirit of God gave him that word to record this writer because it's the word that is used to describe the blood of war. It is a word of warning. It is a word of terror and of death. It's the adjective that's used to describe the devil himself later on in this book, who's called the red dragon. And we're told that he has given a great sword. John is trying to put it in his own verbiage. The sword that he uses is a Greek word that is used to describe death. It's used to describe the right of a government to kill people. But this is no ordinary sword. This is a great sword. Who knows? Perhaps a weapon of mass destruction. And the Greek language is very specific. Ektes geis. That is, he took peace from out from the world. This is different from world wars in the past. This is a war that encompasses every nation on the planet. Men would slay one another. And again, he uses a very specific word. We witnessed it last Sunday night. There was a slaying of people in America. It is a term that describes someone who will butcher people. And notice verse 4 says, to him who sat, this rider, was granted to take peace from the earth. It was granted. He was given permission. He's on a leash. He is under the control of the wrath of God Almighty. Now the world, some will be converted during this time, but some will be hardened during this time. And one of the functions, there's really several functions, one of the chief functions of the tribulation period is to bring the Jewish world to faith in Yeshua. They are going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They will recognize it. We have a minority of Jews today who believe that. 200-some thousand in the United States, according to Jews for Jesus. You go to Israel today, and in virtually every small town, there's a congregation, sometimes just a dozen or two, of Messianic Jews who believe Jesus is Lord. But in this day, there'll be a widespread turning of the Jewish people to Jesus. They will recognize his Savior. A second function is to bring Gentiles to faith, those who have never heard the gospel before in clarity and in power. But a third function will be to demonstrate the hard, evil heart of man who is resistant towards God. And so when we're done with these seals, we're going to see the people not saying, Jesus, save us. Many of the people will say in verse 16, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the lamb. Listen, things will change after the church is gone. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. When the church is removed, that light will turn into darkness. You are the salt of the earth. The church, even in its weak state today, still preserves righteousness. But when the church is gone, decay is going to set in. And the Holy Spirit's going to lift his restraining hand, as we're going to see in the revelation, off of this world. Jesus said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He uses the word nation. We get our word ethnicity from it. He's talking about race wars across the planet. Kingdom against kingdom. He's talking about geopolitical boundaries, different nations of the world in that respect. Add to that, there will be no mothers, no fathers. 
praying for their sons and daughters as they go off to war. There'll be no chaplains in the foxholes pleading with men to receive Yeshua. In fact, most of the people who are converted in that day, John will reveal in this book, are slaughtered almost as soon as they believe. This is a time of war, fought without God, without Christ, without any hope at all. It is a terrible, heinous time, and millions and millions of soldiers, John will reveal, will go from a time of tribulation wrath into a time of eternal wrath. To listen again to today's study from The Revelation, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV16, entitled The Black Horse of Destruction. We'll continue this fascinating look at Revelation tomorrow when again we search the Scriptures.